0: This podcast is dedicated to all those out there who have osteoarthritis. On the show, we unpack the truth and demystify the myths about the disease and its management. If you have joint pain and want to know more about how to manage it from the world's best experts, you've come to the right place. Without further ado, it is time to welcome your host, David Hunter.
2: Hello and welcome to this edition of Joint Action. This week we have the privilege of discussing, does being physically active help? The pain that comes from osteoarthritis is typically described as activity related. A lot of people don't like to move because it hurts. Despite this, we generally recommend people with osteoarthritis remain physically active. Does that seem counterintuitive? In this context, how much activity is helpful And what types of activity should a person do? Finding the balance between overdoing this and maintaining joint function is sometimes tricky. The purpose of this episode of Joint Action is to unpack this complicated area and identify what benefits can be gained by remaining physically active. And we're joined by none other than Dan White. Daniel White is an associate professor at the University of Delaware in the Department of Physical Therapy. He obtained his bachelor's degree in health sciences, a master's in physical therapy, and a doctorate in rehabilitation sciences, all from Boston University. He completed a postdoctoral fellowship at the Boston University School of Public Health, and earned a master's in science and epidemiology from the Boston University School of Public Health in 2013. Dan's research focuses on physical activity and physical functioning in older adults, people with knee osteoarthritis and people after total joint replacement. Dan, welcome to the show. Thanks. Appreciate it. It's great to have you here, albeit on the other side of the world. You're facing some challenges over there, but hopefully um, your your wisdom, insight, um, and the rest of your compatriots, despite your leader, will get you through that.
1: I'll try my best.
2: <laughs> now, the first part of this show, we usually try and get to know you a little bit better so that the audience can, can engage with you a little bit. But if you had to describe yourself in five words, what would they be?
1: Sure. Well, first, I'm a physical therapist. So that's two words, I suppose. I have a clinical oh. background where I help people Uh, after they had their joint replacements and when they injured themselves, get better. Uh, Another word is uh, I'm a uh, scientist. I have a laboratory where we study uh, physical activity and we study ways to, to help people become more active. And I guess I, you know, have a sort of curiosity about trying to understand what are ways that we can just help people's health in Regards to promoting physical activity, and then I guess the last uh, is uh, i 'm a fitness enthusiast, so that 's two words again, but uh, I, I try to practice what I preach and and stay active, and you know I very much feel that I just enjoy you know being active and the benefits that come with that uh, and the challenges too as as well but I guess those are those are the five words i 'd use
2: thank you so much for sharing that with us, and we might dig into the fitness enthusiast piece in a, in a second in terms of exactly what it is that you do, hopefully as an example to you and to others. When it, when you're not doing your day job, what is it that you like to do?
1: Sure. So I guess I start each day, uh, I go to CrossFit. I am I, go to Cross this CrossFit gym in uh, my local uh, area and uh, there, you know, it's, a, it's about an hour workout. I usually go four days a week and uh, yeah, it's, it's definitely... Uh, a, a challenging, you know, high high intensity interval training, as they call it, workout. But uh, I've been doing that for uh, a little over 10 years now, and feel like the have had enough time where I've been injured multiple times. I've had you know life change and definite challenges to that, and uh, still uh, managed to work out <laughs> how I can continue to work out consistently. Uh, though it's been easier sometimes than, than at, at others. So that's, yeah, that's the main fitness enthusiasm part that, that I have. I have interest outside of that. I, I do like uh, photography and uh, I have kids and they keep me busy. <laughs> so it's, you know, full, full life. But yeah, the main thing, I do feel like the, the working out as part of CrossFit to be a, a large part of my um, sort of life outside of work.
2: Brilliant. Um, thank you. Thanks very much for sharing that with us. It sounds like you've got a very full plate, and uh, I, would, I would imagine <laughs> yeah. you'd probably like to keep it that way. Now, w- when you're at work, can you just expand a little bit more on what it is that you do when you're actually at work?
1: Sure. Uh, so, uh, formally, I'm a faculty member uh, at the University of Delaware in the Department of Physical Therapy. There, I have a laboratory, uh, we call it the, the Active Lab. It comprises of uh, several PhD students, some uh, Doctor of Physical Therapy students, uh, and some undergraduates. And you know, the, the goal of our, our lab there is just mainly to develop practical ways to increase physical activity for people mainly with arthritis. You know, Currently, we are studying remote methods of delivery of care uh, using telehealth uh, to do that as well as looking at different, uh, schemes for a uh, monitoring or helping people with monitors to, to get them to be uh, more active. And, uh, yeah, that, and then I, I teach a class, uh, in research. Then there's, you know, being a, a scientist, there's sort of the scientific citizenship you do where you participate in conferences and podcasts like this, and just try to get the word out with, uh, the sort of work that, you know, our lab's doing. And, uh, try
2: to promote health uh, just uh, in general from that perspective. That's superb, Um, and we'll hopefully come back to the telehealth and remote monitoring again a little bit later on, just expand on that a little bit. But oftentimes a person, when they have osteoarthritis, complains that it hurts when they move. But what evidence is there that physical activity is actually helpful rather than harmful, which is, I guess, part of the common community perception?
1: Yeah, it's no doubt that in the short term, movement can be uncomfortable, it can hurt, especially for people with uh, osteoarthritis. Uh, There's no doubt that that happens. And actually, I I was recently listening to a podcast that uh, talked about some of the benefits of physical activity from the the person's perspective of why do they stay active. And it came out at least in people who are midlife, it seems that the short-term benefits, uh, the very short-term benefits are those that people find to be most valuable, uh, such as like after you work out, you have this uh, sort of a good, you're in a good mood, you can reduce the stress and those sorts of things that are very short-term benefit, you feel relaxed. And, you know, unfortunately for osteoarthritis, when especially when you start it's going to hurt <laughs> no way is saying it it's not going to be you, you you don't get that short-term pain relief immediately after exercise and likely it's it's going to make it a little bit worse the good news is that uh, if you can push through over that hump of the short-term pain the long-term benefits or i'd say m- perhaps more mid-term benefits are substantial, uh, especially for people who have a chronic disease and for uh, people with knee osteoarthritis from a specific to them, uh, the pain reduction on a midterm basis uh, approaches that that you get with medication. It's the same reduction in pain, but without the side effects, you know, especially with the opioid crisis, you know, just trying to get off of meds is huge. And exercise does that at, at the same level or same effect. There's also major strength gains you have uh, with exercise, as well as just the ability to function. That is, you know, get out of bed, get out of a chair, climb the stairs, you know, without difficulty or with less difficulty. Um, So for OA, uh, you know, there are substantial gains. And in general, actually, for exercise, there's really known general benefits, including cardiovascular health. It's mood stabilizing. It's a good prevention me- method for uh, weight gain. In other words, it helps maintain your weight. And, you know, overall, if you could package it in a pill, it'd be a blockbuster drug. <laughs> so, <laughs> we haven't figured out how to do that yet, but we know <laughs> how to get there with hard work.
2: That's great, and I'm looking looking forward to doing it. Um, looking forward to when they actually do that. Um, but <laughs> now, just to pull that apart a little bit further, you mentioned that when they first start, it might actually hurt a little bit more. Is there any pain that a person should be more wary or cautious of, where they maybe should say, slow down, back off? And is there a, any good pain that people should be cognizant of?
1: Yeah, that's a, that is a good question. I think the Pain. Pain is a very personal thing that is not my area of expertise. Clinically, I tell people, if you wake up the next morning and your knee is still bothering you, you probably have overdone it. Immediately after, it's going to hurt. That's understandable. But then it should start to subside. And, you know, within 24 hours, you should be back to back to baseline. After 24 hours, you might have pain, but that could be muscle soreness, the sort of delayed muscle soreness you get, uh, which is actually really good pain. that That's the type of thing you want to see because uh, that means your muscles are growing. There's a an investigator in uh, Australia who uh, took a look at how much walking is a, a safe amount uh, for people with sort of advanced osteoarthritis and found that you can walk up to 70 minutes a week or 10 minutes each day without, without an increase in pain uh, in the, in the midterm. So I find that, you know, that's, that's a, on the smaller end of studies, but I find that is a good sort of uh, rule of thumb to, for people starting out, you know, saying, well, how much can I do? I'm really nervous about it. You know, the 10 minutes is a, is a nice mark, benchmark for people that, for most, that will not substantially increase your pain uh, and, and not do so, do so on the long term
2: yeah, and this this may not necessarily be consistent with exactly what you've said, but I think the the short term immediate pain the day after, if it 's specifically adjacent to the joint and it 's sharp that 's probably what dan's talking about there, as yes. opposed to yes. pain in and around the joint and the muscles around the joint, which is probably a good sign that you 've actually done some work so what types of physical activity are most helpful?
1: Yeah, I, I think the first thing sometimes, I find it's good to just define what physical activity is. So we're all on the same page. And basically that is just any energy expenditure uh, above a resting amount. So any amount of that you are doing something that involves more than uh, sleeping or sitting. <laughs> so that that's physical activity. Uh, And exercise is included in that, certainly. And then when you talk about physical activity or exercise, there's obviously uh, several different sort of attributes about it. First is the intensity of it, like how intense are we looking at things? And in general, we describe these as being a light intensity, such as uh, maybe standing, a moderate intensity that would include uh, walking at a comfortable pace, and then a vigorous intensity, such as uh, climbing stairs. Then beyond that, there's a duration. So how long you're uh, doing these uh, activities for. So that's just a sort of quick primer on, on how we think about physical activity. And obviously, there's many different types. And, and what I say to people is find something you enjoy to do. There's not one magic physical activity that is superior to another. It is, I think the, the real special sauce is finding something you enjoy and just doing that uh, repeatedly. Again, understanding the notion of what is the intensity of that activity and then what is the duration of that, knowing that the more intense you can do it, the more health benefits there are, and the longer you can do it, the, the more health benefits they are in general. People with osteoarthritis often worry, though, that, the, you know, this notion of vigorous intensity could be damaging to the joints or even a moderate intensity. And we really haven't found the moderate intensity to be damaging to the joints. We have found actually the opposite, that the more time you spend in this moderate intensity uh, activity, the less likely uh, you are to have something like even a knee replacement. We, we found this uh, looking at large data sets. And as well as that the benefits of the moderate really outdo the benefits of the light intensity, though the light intensity is still uh, beneficial. Anyway, so the people standing at home saying, well, what do you want me to do? I mean, the basic thing is walking is the most common physical activity that people use, that adults use to be active. Believe it or not, going for a walk is a moderate intensity that, that really hits the mark. And my doctoral student, Jason Jaquila just published a, an editorial in June, Journal of Rheumatology that in uh, respect to this COVID pandemic and people wondering, you know, you're social distancing, you're not going out, what's the minimal that level of activity that we should really get? And uh, his editorial talks about how it's 10 minutes a day. 10 minutes a day for OA is the way we want, uh, what we, we should be doing uh, and whether that's walking, Uh, whether that's doing some sort of exercise, that's the minimal amount uh, you want to be hitting on. And again, finding something you enjoy and doing that is uh, kind of what we recommend. So sorry for the long winded answer, but (laughs) that's, that's kind of how we're thinking. I Um,
2: think it's, it's uh, really, really helpful advice. Um, Obviously some people who may not necessarily like, like to walk. Are there any other types of physical activity that you might advocate for, for people with osteoarthritis?
1: yeah sure i mean the common ones are getting into a pool i mean that is certainly less uh, compressive force on the joints and uh, being in the water just feels good anyways Uh, and doing any sort of water aerobics is a very low impact uh, type of activity people do and then on the other hand if you biking is another thing whether that is a stationary bicycle or a a recumbent bike uh, that's something else uh, you know, but I think I have to say, and this kind of comes from my, my CrossFit background, that it's not only the type of exercise you're looking at, but it is the social context that you're doing those activities in. And certainly there's some of the some of us that are more the lone wolf type of people that we just like to do it by ourselves and just leave me alone. I want to put on my podcast and listen to this podcast or listen to music or something and just do it on my own. Great, knock yourself out. But for a lot of people, it's very much a social endeavor. And CrossFit has actually done a great job with the community aspect of exercise. So finding a group of people that you like to go for a walk with is a a very powerful mechanism to to maintain in the long term a a healthy regimen. And so, you know, maybe there's something with like yoga or tai chi or something that maybe is a stretch for you, but if there's a group of people or friends that you can get to, to join you, or maybe just even one friend that would be willing to join you, or you know, that does this and you, you asked to join them. I mean, that is just a really uh, fantastic recipe for uh, success.
2: That's great advice. And hopefully uh, people will walk away and use that very practical uh, input to make a difference. You've already kind of touched upon this in terms of how much physical activity a person should osteoarthritis well should aim to do and at what intensity. It sounds like on the basis of what you were saying before that you know the minimum should be about 10 minutes a day um, and aiming for that moderate vigorous physical activity. And you know, I'm, I'm all about setting realistic goals and making sure that people start slowly. But if they wanted to do more, is that likely to be more helpful? And if so, is there any evidence to suggest the more that we do, the better the gains that they'll make in terms of function and mood and body weight and things like that?
1: Yeah, no, that's a, that's a great question. All the literature in physical activity was nicely summarized in this a sort of national report here in, in stateside called the United States uh, Physical Activity Recommendations. And and this is a every 10 years that experts in physical activity meet uh, along with other uh, experts from the medical field and epidemiologists, and they try to put together, you know, what's what's the state of the art for physical activity literature and what recommendations can we make from that? And the number one recommendation that they, they've uh, said uh, since the inception of this has been, uh, some is good, more is better. It's just the simple notion of, a, of what we call in science a dose response, or the more you do, the more benefits you're going to get from this. Uh, so, as a starting place, you know we say ten minutes, but even if it's five, that's better than zero. <laughs> so, you know, starting someplace is going to be better than than doing nothing, and then building from there. Uh, some of the benchmarks that what we we have seen in in our lab there to be a dose response, or the more you do, the better off you are. And specifically what we've seen that in is the more steps per day people take, the better functioning they are, or the less likely they are to have problems with their functioning in the future. If you're looking for a number that is a sort of healthy amount of walking to maintain, we found that uh, people who walk 6,000 steps per day were much less likely to develop problems with their functioning than people who walk less than 6,000 steps per day. But that's, you know, again, you can go over 6,000 steps per day as well. And for people who do less than 6,000 steps per day, you're at 5,000. Again, that's better than 4,000. So, you know, that's certainly something to consider. So I hope that answers your question with with regards to dose response or to, you know, how much. But that's how we that's how we, you know, kind of think about it.
2: No, that's really, really practical advice. And I think it's gonna provide a lot of insights for people who are out there. Now, are there any other tips or wearables that you might like to recommend that might allow a person to identify if they're hitting the number of required steps per day and the intensity?
1: Yeah, I think the literature on this has been around for a little while and there's this really nice uh, meta-analysis or this paper that combined a whole bunch of studies and said, okay, what's, what's what's the deal? What's going on here? And that paper basically found that the first step is actually just using a monitor. You know, if you're interested in losing weight, if you don't have a scale it's pretty tough to do (laughs) so the same thing with physical activity having a sense of like well where am i you know it it, measuring that objectively is really important so having a monitor that counts your steps is a really practical way to get a sense of where where am i on 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 that scale the next thing that this this uh, sort of summary paper found was that having a goal is a very strong way to increase activity. It's it's one thing to just see where your activity is, or similar to your weight, to see where your weight is. But where do you want to go? What what feels like a good number to you? We throw out the number six thousand steps per day as an ultimate goal for people. But you know if you're sta- if you're starting at a thousand steps, that could be pretty daunting. So then maybe your goal is at two thousand steps, or saying hey, I want to walk five hundred steps per day more. There's no one way to do it, but the main thing is to get the monitor and start creating yourself a goal. There are many different monitors out there. It, it's really a patient's preference, we're, we're, However, what feels the best for you. Uh, some are hip-worn, others are wrist-worn. Your cell phone has a pedometer on it, believe it or not. You just have to go and search for it. So if it's on you, it will count your steps. Uh, it's completely up to your preference which one uh, you'll use. But I find that using that step count measure is a very practical and understandable way to to help uh, increase your activity from a walking, you know, from a walking perspective.
2: You mentioned a, a strong interest in telehealth before, and obviously in the COVID pandemic, those sort of tools are really, really valuable. Are there any particular telehealth apps or measures that you found really useful that might be useful for the community that are out there?
1: Yeah, so... Our area of study has been looking at trying to deliver physical therapy through telehealth. And actually in Australia, Ronna Hinman and Kim Bennell have been doing some great work in this area. And, you know, from the patient's perspective, they, uh, Belinda Lawford went and took a look and interviewed patients and said, well, what'd you think? You know, how was it with, you know, this, this telehealth thing? And the, the sort of quote that stands out in my mind is patients said, i felt like the therapist was in my house (laughs) (laughs) you can't beat that i mean come on that that's just fantastic so you know using telehealth for physical therapy and in in my area for physical activity is a very effective way that is mimics uh face to face uh you know and it has those those key things of there is interaction with somebody uh, there's goal setting and other areas that what we call a behavioral change or that are helpful to, to help people make positive changes. And accountability you know, is another way. And these, again, can all be delivered uh, via telehealth. Um, we are still working in the research areas to develop like a standardized method, but it, it is on the, uh, on the rise. And with COVID, more and more health providers are getting more and more comfortable using telehealth uh, so I really encourage patients who are uh, perhaps stuck at home, but want to be active to, to see what therapists, whether they do, you know, a, a telehealth visit, uh, whether it be over the phone or ideally a, a video call, uh, because the information you get across, you know, in the clinic, uh, while they can, you know, put their hands on you, it's actually the, the knowledge you get and the encouragement you get that is really the, the difference maker uh, in my mind. So... Yeah, so that's, that's where we are with telehealth.
2: Oh, that's great. And it's obviously the change, changing area of the delivery of health. But I think, as you say, some of that motivational cueing, the goal setting, the coaching, and hopefully giving you some plans that you can adhere to longer term are really, really valuable. Now, one of the common scenarios or questions that I face in clinical practice is a person comes along and they say, I've been sedentary my whole life. And it may not necessarily be completely sedentary, but you know, I've never done any sport. I've never done any physical activity and I've been quite happy. I'm now in a position where I've obviously got joint pain and that's disabling me and some simple activities a day living are really, really hard to do. Where do I start and how do I best succeed in being adherent?
1: Yeah. Well, I think coming to that realization is actually a big step too. You know, and I think that deserves deserves a pat on the back. You know, to come to the point where you're making a decision to say, "Hey, you know what? I've been sedentary, but I want to do more." is a notable uh, stage in in uh, in in behavior change or in that in that journey of, of becoming more active so good for you know good for those people who, who made that decision uh, now the question is like okay i've never been active before you know what do i what do i do and i think this is where uh i i kind of go back to the things that i talked about before is you know identifying what are those activities that you do, that you like to do and, tr- and and understanding that physical activity is anything above rest you know what are active things whether it's gardening whether it's swimming, whatever, in actually partaking in those activities is going to be a huge step. Getting people from being sedentary uh, to being, you know, minimally active or be being more active than they were uh, they they were before. I like to put in a plug for physical therapy, and you know, seeking a physical therapist to help you along that journey is, is an important uh, step. And what I mean by that is. Uh, it's very common uh, for people with uh, osteoarthritis, especially the sense of disease is such a long-term disease, uh, to have uh, chronic problems that they, they need a little help with talking about pain. You know, I have pain that's specific then I'm unsure whether this is good pain or not, like we talked about at the beginning of our podcast, or I'm unsure you know, uh, how, how much to push myself. And for pe- and, and those are very fair questions, very reasonable. Um, and, and having a physical therapist work with you uh, through those things is, is just a real practical way uh, for them to get you started. Uh, and again, as I said before, with a, with a telehealth and contacting someone, you might not even need to ha- go into the clinic physically. You can do this over a video call or, or, or even over the telephone. So, you know, leveraging uh, a physical therapist to help you with that is incredible important. I guess the, the, the last part is, you know, finding a partner to help you in that journey, you know, finding somebody who will walk with you or who will go bowling or somebody who who likes to to go to the pool. And even if it's just a couple times, like finding that person who will give you support and accountability is a, is a tremendous, tremendous asset. Uh, but again, I, I do want to come circle back to what I started with is, you know, recognizing that, you know, people who have come to that point who have been sedentary, but have decided that they need to do something it is a very good place to be and, a, and definitely worthy of a compliment uh, and acknowledgement. And now it's, the, it's a great place to be to take that next step of, uh, of becoming more active.
2: That's great, Dan. And after all of that, I think I'm gonna sign you up as my coach so that I, I get my physical <laughs> acting myself. <laughs> it's really inspirational. Now, you've done quite a bit of work in the space of cumulative load. And I just want to try to better understand what cumulative load is. And I guess also the potential to understand the difference and the possibility both for underloading, but also that for overloading.
1: Yeah, so this has been primarily uh, my work of my doctoral student, Dana Vanier, and she had this, she's a mechanical engineer, and she had this real interest in understanding how the biology of one's cartilage plays out in the process of being physically active. So we know that cartilage is an avascular, or it's, it does no blood supply, so for it to get its nutrients to stay healthy, you have to have a certain amount of, of compressive load to To the cartilage, so that all the nutrients that are you know floating around in the knee uh, get through to uh, the cartilage to keep it healthy. So that would, from a theoretical perspective, kind of have this ideal sweet spot where you have enough you you have enough loading to get the nutrients to the cartilage, but not too much loading uh, that uh, starts to damage the cartilage. On the flip side, you could have not enough loading, hence the underloading, that not enough nutrients are getting to the cartilage. So so that's that's a theoretical concept in what Dana did was uh, she took a look at this large data set of people who have physical activity or they're walking uh, objectively measured with a monitor, and then they she measured, she had their MRIs over two years, and she took a look at people who had worsening cartilage or that their their cartilage got thinner or they had more defects over time. And what she found was, as you would expect, people who were at the high end of having being heavy and having very high numbers of steps per day, that those were associated with uh, cartilage worsening. But the, she also found that there was definitely some preliminary evidence that this underloading is happening as well. And by and large, there's a lot more people that fall into this underloading phenomena, but that they're not doing enough to keep their cartilage healthy. Yeah, so oftentimes we think of, you know, I don't I don't want to overdo it. But by and large, for most people with osteoarthritis, it's, it's, you need to do more to keep your joints healthy. You, you need to get up. You need to have that compressive force. Uh, the cumulative load is just the total amount of compressive force that goes throughout the day that includes you know, your, your, all your steps. And we found that there, is a, there, there seems to be a signal for a minimal amount uh, that is necessary uh, because if you drop, if you don't do enough, you, you do have a risk of uh, worsening your cartilage. So I hope that answers your question, but that's that's uh, the work that uh, yeah, Dana has done.
2: Yeah, no, it's great. And um, just te- teasing that out a little bit further and looking at the important interaction there of weight and particularly weight change and waist circumference and how that might play into the maintenance of a person's physical function.
1: Yeah, we've done some work looking at waist circumference and change in waist circumference and have definitely found that People with larger waist circumference uh, to be more at risk for dif- uh, to having difficulty with uh, physical function or, or, you know, the ability to get out of bed, get out of a chair, and climb upstairs. And certainly, if you look at Steve Messier's work, you know, at Wake Forest, you know, his, all the all the trials he has done, you know, weight loss plays a significant role in combination with exercise to have the best best changes uh, for functioning and for uh, pain reduction. For people with knee osteoarthritis um, i guess my personal thoughts on this are weight change is hard <laughs> it's a really hard nut to crack uh, that's very challenging and not that you shouldn't aspire towards that but it is very challenging what we've found is that for most people over the long term their weight doesn't change but those who are more active or become more active Actually, uh, do have better outcomes in terms of their, or the, specifically to their functioning. So, if weight loss has been something you've really been challenged with, the activity is easier to do. That is, that is a, a simple way that most people find they can uh, modify in their lives or, or make a difference in and find they can stick to a little bit easier than weight change. Uh, certainly, we recommend both, uh, but if you want a good starting point, and you have to decide, am I going to cut the meal or am I going to go for a walk? I recommend you go for that walk. You know, try, try that first and, and go from there.
2: So another common question that I get asked is, you know, is running harmful and, you know, other high impact sports, whether it be, you know, basketball, tennis, uh, Zumba, there are lots of different choices that are out there. Are they helpful or harmful for a person who's got osteoarthritis?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. So in the literature, it seems that there's several meta analyzes or these studies that summarized all the literature that was out there, uh, and these stu- th- that were done several years ago. And these studies found that for recreational runners, there was they actually had a protective effect. They were less likely to have uh, knee osteoarthritis or wor- uh, or worse symptoms uh, compared to people who are sedentary. People who are competitive or have or the ultramarathoners, there is some signal that that might increase your risk uh, of knee osteoarthritis. Uh, but then it's hard to distinguish, you know, when do I go from being recreational to being uh, competitive, you know, and how does that go? So I, again, I, I think, by and large, people's fear of damaging their joints, from a public health perspective, we are that message has gotten out there too much. It's people aren't doing enough. We need to do more. And if it's, if it's running that you like, uh, I go run. I mean, and you can see how your knees respond. If that starts to hurt and it's over this 24 hours that we talk about, but you like that intensity, well, then it might be cycling. And I've, I've known plenty of runners who've transitioned their careers from running to competitive cycling. Uh, and that's a much lower impact uh, activity. So, yeah, I think that's, again, I, I, I do play, I do put a lot of value in that activity, because for that runner, you know, they get a lot of joy out of that. And, and it's a, it's a, you have to mourn that loss to let go, to let go of that if it's impossible. So, you know, that's a big decision, uh, decision to make. Then again, you got to do what's best for you as well. So evaluating what the pros and cons are and how your body responds is important. But but try something. Keep trying, keep trying something. Don't, don't give it up and say, I want to sit on the couch and that's it. There's lots of things you can do.
2: Yeah, Plus, the- stay away from the couch. That's for sure. Now, <laughs> are there any patient-friendly resources or links that you'd like to share that might shed further light on this topic?
1: Yeah, I think fra- the first thing I think of is there's a very nice resource from uh, University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, UNC Chapel Hill called the Osteoarthritis Action Alliance or OAAA, uh, and that's something you can Google, UNC uh, OAA Action Alliance, uh, and that comes up and that is a webpage that has just some tremendous resources about OA, the disease, uh, how people, what are different programs uh, for people who can become more active, you know, and that's, that's, that's a very nice starting place for people. There are other groups, there's Arthritis Foundation uh, here in the United States uh, that has uh, resources. There's this uh, Walk With Ease program. Those are the ones that come to mind. Now, again, I, I have to say that if you are younger and you're saying, well, that's great, Dan, but you know, I'm on the younger area or age is just a number. I feel young at heart and I want, you know, something that's going to be, I don't know, more challenging. And in that stuff, again, I recommend go see a physical therapist and ask him, you know, what's the most I can do and, and and be challenged and see how far you can go with that uh, stuff. And it's very powerful to take those steps and uh, see somebody and really make that change, and you—you you won't regret it. You really won't.
2: Wonderful advice, Coach. I'm I'm listening. Um, <laughs> now, is there anything that I didn't ask that I should have?
1: No, I think I think uh, you know if people made it to the end of this podcast, you know, kudos to you. And uh, you know, I, I just encourage you to. You, you're probably listening to this because you know you're you're trying to find a solution to to your problem. And good for you. And keep keep on keep on searching and, and keep on moving is is my main logo. Uh, just just keep on moving.
2: Now, moving on from that topic and learning a little bit about you and what makes you tick. But what's the biggest challenge you have with your specific role right now, and how are you going to overcome that?
1: Yeah. Uh, the big challenge now is finding, <laughs> for our, uh, the way our area works is funding. You know, we write grants and, you know, we beg people for money. It's kind of like a small business and we go out and we ask people to, to fund what our ideas are. And yeah, that, that's that's definitely a challenge uh, these times. I mean, the, the science is competitive and there's limited funding. So just trying to be enthusiastic and keep your head above water and find funding for the ideas we think are going to be the next uh, the next version of sliced bread as <laughs> we go about it.
2: <laughs> you probably already touched upon this with the exercise and appeal analogy, but if you could do anything to improve health and healthcare, what would you do?
1: You know, one of the things I, I laugh about with some friends at my CrossFit gym are, you know, if, if everyone were this active, we were, you know, I'd be out of a job. Like, this is just something that is such a potent um, uh, health behavior that you know there's it, it's it's just really unmistakable with, with the gains you can make and the things you could prevent. I know it sounds sort of silly, but you know people are much more likely to pop pills and just want things taken care of and. Some things work that way, but not when it comes to the benefits of exercise, and especially in the arthritis area. It, it just does not work that way, or it doesn't work nearly as well. And you know, and so I guess my hope for healthcare would be that we can come up with a an agenda or a means to, to hold people's hands and have them try activity and, and try in a in a way that they feel safe and supported in a way that can, you know, help them be successful to make permanent changes, you know, in, in their lives. And, and in a way that's tailored to what they need, not not just, oh, everyone go walk. And like, that could work for some people, but not everyone. So having means to figure out what what is that you like to do and encouraging that, you know, is, is my hope. Uh, and from a broader scheme, from a healthcare perspective. And, you know, I think employers should get involved with this too, because the, you know, the the dollars saved from helping your employees become active and and in a healthy way is tremendous. And those are healthcare dollars saved that they don't have to go, you know, see the doctor for, to treat their uh, diabetes or arthritis or other sort of, uh, sort of behavior, behaviorally or sedentary related diseases. So, yeah, so that's, that's my hope.
2: I think we need to completely reorient the delivery of healthcare uh, so that we're much more proactive and motivational. Now, why do you do what you do?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. I I think, I don't know. I just, I just have a, I feel like, you know, that's why I'm here to encourage people and try to find a way to help people live better lives, you know, and the area of physical activity and physical therapy seems to be a fit, you know, and, uh, I yeah I enjoy it. I mean I, I very much enjoy hearing, you know, getting postcards from patients saying, you know, you changed my life. You, you know, I didn't realize how sedentary I was or how how little I did and you know, being active is, you know, changed my life and you know, that's definitely something that is uh something that is uh I love for and it is very encouraging.
2: Well, I hope you stay true to your uh, purpose there because we we need so much more of that. Now if you could have a billboard with anything on it,
1: what would it be and why? <laughs> yeah, I saw this question. <laughs> I think the billboard would just be keep moving, keep moving, on many different levels. You know, just just keep moving. The longer you're here, the more challenges you face and they some get harder than others and just keep moving forward and keep moving is incredibly important and you know for me personally like exercise and just being active has been you know it's not going to be a uh it's not a cure-all it's not a panacea but it definitely takes off the the heat sometimes and it, it definitely helps get you through so you know that, that's that's my that's my billboard
2: well, that's superb dan and um we might leave it there in the interest of time but Thank you so much for all the practical advice, the insights, the thoughts, uh, the positive coaching. I'm sold. I'm ready to go out for 60 minutes worth of moderate, (laughs) vigorous, legal activity right now. Um, But really appreciate your time.
1: Hey, thanks for having me on. It's a pleasure. And, um, yeah, if, if anyone has um, wants to get in touch with me, uh, just look at, uh, you can Google uh, Physical Activity Lab uh, Delaware and uh, our lab comes up. Uh, my email address is on there. Uh, feel free to reach out. I, I love getting uh, patient comments or questions and you know, helping people along their journey. And uh, yeah, pleasure to be on the show.
2: That is all for this episode of Joint Action. If you like what you hear and want to support us, please rate us on your favourite podcast platform. Alternatively, visit the website www.jointaction.info to post a question, donate to our research or send us some feedback. Between now and next time, please do take care of yourself, stay strong and stay active. Thank you so much for listening.
0: Thanks for listening to Joint Action with David Hunter. If you like our show and want to know more, check out www.jointaction.info. If you have any questions, you can email us at hello at jointaction.info and follow us on Twitter at jointaction.org. This podcast was hosted by David Hunter, edited by Vicki Duong, music produced by Jordan Hunter. The information posted on this podcast is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent disease. Anyone seeking medical advice should consult a health professional.